Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to our Valentine's edition of Writer on the Road. I'm sitting here in the sweltering heat. I'm sure it's 40 degrees plus at the moment. It's Sunday night. There's bushfires everywhere. It's all very, very exciting here in Aussie land. Um, I hope everyone's safe. I hope everyone's keeping out of the heat. We're not having much luck ourselves, but we're going to battle on regardless. Now, this week is very, very special. I've got the beautiful Amy Andrews with me, and she has recorded this special podcast with Valentine's Day in mind. We're talking about how to write a romance novel, and we're looking at the steamier end of of what goes on behind the bedroom door. We're looking at what is required of a romance novel and the genre Uh, in the 21st century and things sure have changed since I wrote them 25 years ago. Uh, It's interesting, it's exciting and if you're thinking of writing romance, Amy Andrews is at the top of the game. Now that was a bit of a silly pun because the book we're looking at is Playing the Player and it's all about uh, a rugby team in Sydney. But she is one of our best Australian romance writers. Um, I don't know whether she's the best Australian romance writer, but I certainly have a huge amount of respect for her. And the tips and tricks that she gives us this uh, in this podcast are well worth listening to, well worth taking notes, and I thoroughly recommend that you listen right through to the very end where Amy reads a chapter from her novel. And she tells us why she chooses the first chapter, and she tells us why it's from the male point of view and why um, the first chapter is just the male characters. Very, very interesting, very informative, and certainly very instructive. In other news, I'm looking at a project of mine which I started at the beginning of the year, but I actually haven't lifted a finger to fulfil, and it's called Fit to Write. So I had my first coaching session with um, my my um, fitness coach this morning and it's the beautiful Jennifer Gale from Fit and 50 Plus. She is a sponsor of my podcast Um, but for the next six weeks I'm embarking on a fitness regime that will see me fit enough to ride 80 or 70 or 80 kilometres in a Brisbane bike ride in May or April, May and then in September of this year I've come up with the grand idea of riding from Gundawindi to the Gold Coast here in Queensland and I believe it's somewhere between 50 and 80 kilometres a day for 10 days or something like that. So I really have to get on my bike and I really have to get training. And when I was talking to Amy this morning, she kept muttering things about uh, I have to get up to 30 kilometres a day. And I'm thinking it was such a fantastic idea in theory. I can't wait to see what happens in practice. But for this week, uh, Jennifer has given me permission just to get on my bike and ride for 10 minutes a day. And I thought even I can manage that. Um, As the weeks go by, things may get a little uglier. Um, but I'll certainly keep you up up to date. Yesterday I went down and I listened to Keith Abraham at a conference and we spoke all about goal uh, goal setting. I'll be putting a blog post up about that. Very, very interesting and informative. What are our weekly goals? What are our monthly goals? What are our yearly goals? Where do we want to be and how are we going to get there? Um, Certainly a lot in that. I'm putting up a podcast with Keith 
in probably sometime this week after Valentine's Day is bedded down and out of the way because this um, podcast interview with Keith is very important for those of us who have long-time, long-term writing goals and I think every one of us would benefit from listening to that one as well. On a personal note, um, I'm still teaching. I said I wouldn't teach, but the money's just too good to give up. Um, my writing income, I'm aiming for five figures a month. I've put out a bit of a, I think it was a bit of a Facebook post or a blog post about how I think I made $2,400 last week. And I thought if I could make that every week, there's my five figures a month. So my goal in the short term is to make those five figures a month on a regular basis so that next term I don't have to take a teaching contract. I look forward to being able to say to you in one of my podcasts in hopefully the not the too distant future that I've actually made that goal. My teenage story slingers are coming along. I've got new teenage story slingers coming aboard. My adult coaching course, uh, coaching course is, is coming online and I've already got a few takers for that. Um, that's my job for tonight after I get off here and talking to you. I've got my newsletters to get out for Story Slingers and for my Writer on the Road. If you haven't already subscribed to my newsletter, please please go and do that now. I've got a little handout or a little PDF and it's Do You Have a Story to Tell? And it takes you to, through the process of, of sorting out why you want to write and how you're going to write and how you're going to get to where you want to be at the end of the writing process. The other thing, if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would be really, really appreciated. Appreciate it. I always forget to ask, um, but p- kind people leave reviews anyway. So I, I'd love to hear from you. Eventually, I'm supposed to get a Twitter feed where you guys leave me comments and I answer them, but there's too many things to do. So I'm actually going to stop now and we'll worry about all of those things down the track. But for now, sit back, listen to Amy Andrews, and happy Valentine's every day. I hope you find the handsome hero of your dreams. Welcome to a very special edition of Writer on the Road. This is our special Valentine's uh, edition and I'm more than excited to have Amy Andrews with me today. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Melinda. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. We're recording this in advance, so it's not really Valentine's Day, everybody. No, no. <laughs> we're pretending. <laughs> but we're going we're to run with it. And look, I'm going to warn everybody at the start of this one um, that I'm looking at how to write a romance, what goes into modern romances today. Please turn off um, your podcast, go away if you don't want to hear what we're talking about. It will get down and dirty and we are going to read some things that you may not want to hear. But for the rest of us who are um, romance writers and we do want to go there and we do want to learn this stuff, uh, I've got Amy here and she is the best writer of, of, I guess, um, steamy romance, I would call it, as I wade my way through, when I say wade my way through, as I hide it from my daughters and keep reading. Um, and it's called Playing the Players. It's a series of, that Amy's writing at the moment, Three Are Out, uh, the rugby series. Can you tell us a little bit about those, Amy, rather than me prattle on? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm writing a, a rugby rugby union series for Entangled Publishing. There's eight books in the series all up, and it's uh, all the stories are based around um, the Sydney Smoke rugby team. So it's a Sydney-based team, so they're all set in Australia, and uh, it follows well, – it'll follow five players in the actual – six players in the actual team, and then the coach will also get a story, and the coach's daughter will get a story at the end as well. So – uh, yeah, it's um, been a bit of a learning curve for me because I'm not really much of a sports nut at all. 
Uh, but, you know, it is first and foremost a romance, so um, I can do those bits. <laughs> I can do those bits okay. So the rest just requires research and, um, you know, a sprinkling of sports stuff. So, yeah, most you know, most people who read romances are interested more in the actual romantic relationship than, you know, how many, I don't know, balls they can kick or whatever. Yeah, right. Now, I have spent probably last night and this morning deconstructing player the pl- um, playing the player. Amy, the reason, <laughs> the reason <laughs> I've been doing that is because way back in the olden days, the very best piece of advice I was ever given is if you want to write these kinds of novels then study the best in the genre. So I've picked up your playing the player and I'm really looking hard at this because I've got this little romance novella and it's got no romance in it. And as I said to Amy before, I've been avoiding that. So I've looked at Amy's novel not as a reader but as a writer and I've come away, I'm only up to the end of Chapter 10 and as I said to Amy, I am just amazed at the, I guess, the emotional tension in this thing um, I don't think they actually had intercourse up until Chapter 9. There were other things that happened. Chapter mm. 5 was this amazing scene in the shower where he was, I guess the expression was jacking off, um, or I think it was yeah, horse, that worked. And she was and she was watching. Now, it sounds, I guess it sounds dirty, but it was actually very erotic. And we've got a couple of scenes that I'm going to get Amy to read for me. But first of all, I want to talk to you or get Amy to talk to us about that basic romance structure um, about raising the stakes and raising the stakes and raising the stakes till the reader can't put the book down. Yes. Right. So, well, I think it's important to point out first up that there's a difference between romance and sex. So I think you can write a romance novel without any sex. You know, there can still be romance. Um, And that's why, you know, romance novels go the full, you know, spectrum. So you can get, you know, romance novels at the sweet end and you can get romance novels at sort of the the more steamier end of the spectrum. Um, I tend to write mine more at the, at the steamier end. So, um, and as I was saying to you before, uh, it, that build up the anticipation, um, the looks, the size, the, the hand touching, the kind of the eye contact, the sort of physical manifestations of desire before they even touch each other all helps to sort of build up the tension until, you know, they get to a point where, that kind of explodes over and they, you know, have sex. And sometimes that can be quite early in the piece. And as you pointed out, in playing the player, it's like not till the end of chapter nine where they actually sort of do the deed. But um, it should never really be – sex in a romance novel should never really be sex for sex's sake. It should really have – like any scene that you write should always have a purpose. And oftentimes, you know, they say it should up the stakes – um, and I've also heard it say it should actually make things worse. Uh, they have sex and it doesn't, doesn't get better. It actually makes things worse. So, and it usually makes things worse emotionally. You know, they realise that it's not just sex. It's, you know, sex plus something else. And, you know, as far as characters are concerned at that point in time, that's bad, that's worse because that's not what they, you know, that's not the direction they want things to go. So... Um, you know, all of a romance novel is really about upping the sex and building the tension, and sex can certainly play a really 
you know, big role in helping that all happen. Yeah, and right from the beginning in Amy's novel, and we're focusing everyone on playing the player, uh, there's character, the hero's name's Link and the heroine's name is M. Right from page one, Link is almost a bad guy, but his morals come through very clearly. They're playing cards, he says fuck a lot, he's with the blokes in the locker room, and they have a bet um, about how quickly it takes um, Link to get M into bed. And that sets the tension, I'm guessing. At the end of Chapter 10, that tension is still there, isn't it? Yeah, because well, you, you haven't read the, the bit yet where it all kind of comes to a head over the bet. It's interesting. I was really um, concerned, particularly in a post-Donald Trump world, about the locker room talk and the, um, the bet and I sort of – tried to bend over backwards to make it known that, you know, like Link says he's not sure, he doesn't think it's right to do it, and one of the other characters is like, well, my wife will kick my ass if I actually come into this bed, I'm not doing it. Um, you know, it's a pretty morally reprehensible thing <laughs> to do, let's face it. Um, and so I try to kind of, my sort of being very aware of, um, particularly, as I said, after, you know, certain comments by a certain person in this world and how oh, it was all just locker talk. I've tried very hard to, um, as much as you can, to dissipate, you know, that with acknowledging that it's, you know, pretty reprehensible and also the fact that Link pretty much very quickly into the whole bet scenario kind of forgets about it altogether. It doesn't really become about, you know, winning a pot of money it becomes about he's actually really interested in M he really wants more more with with M yeah and M, M's a school teacher everybody so we've got the football player um complete with tattoos uh and M's yes. the not so prudish school teacher if if I was honest I would say I was more shocked by M's um character than his and that's one of the first things I've got one of my very first questions I've got for you Amy and it's something that I have to I guess engage with in if I want to continue to try to write these romance novels is the Mm. female characters are right there um there's a shower scene where she watches him um well again I don't call it Jake masturbate jack off whatever you call it in the shower and she he's horrified he's actually horrified going this is bad this is really bad um and we'll talk about Amy's humor in a minute because that just makes me laugh but she actually steps forward into it she she is as engaged as him so this is no girl prude saying oh disgusting no no well I think probably at that point in time, because prior to that, there's been a bit of sexual tension. So there has sort of been sexual tension building. And I think probably that's not something that I think if, you know, if you'd interviewed M, for example, before that and said, you know, what would you do if you came across a man, you know, jacking off in the shower, she'd probably be a bit embarrassed about it. She'd say that, you know, well, she would just like turn around and shut the door or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I think because she's really turned on by seeing that, and they've already got this sexual tension, and I think probably her better angels, because uh, I think that scene, yeah, that scene is actually written in Link's point of view, so you don't get, you know, what's going on in Emma's head, but I think probably her better angels are screaming at her to, you know, <laughs> turn around, drop the towels and run, but she's, it's just so compelling. She can't, 
you know, she get and then she gets really into it. So, uh, and I think, you know, that helps to bullet, to sort of build that tension between them just that sort of little bit more as well. You know, it puts a, a level of intimacy into their relationship that they hadn't they really hadn't had prior to that. They've had, they've had, you know, a bit of flirting and they've had tension, but, you know, suddenly now they've got intimacy because, you know, he's completely naked and doing something very private and personal. And, um, she's, you know, also kind of joined into that as well. So it's another, it's another step up in the tension and the intimacy. Yeah. And now this is, uh, where I started to really deconstruct this stuff. Remember, this is only chapter five. And Amy, I think you've carried it off so very, very well because of that. It's that humour. It's a very light touch of humour, but I just laughed because he said a rather unconventional incident is what it's referred to in the book. <laughs> and it's um, him ripping one off in the shower. Okay, so we're chapter five. We've got a sex scene. Nothing happens. He's seen her underwear in the shower and they start to talk about big girls' panties as, as being more appropriate for a school teacher. And so even though we're just, it's very erotic, there's still that humour and there's still that distance and there's still this squirming and discomfort. And Em says, this was all kinds of fucked up. And as I, as I read it, I went, wow, if this is happening in... Um, chapter five and I just a couple more things I wrote down Amy it was a moment of self-love is what is what you referred to it as and I went wow okay so we've gone from um girls with batteries and how many batteries she'd need to get through a night and that's another subject um a moment of self-love caveman stuff hot as fuck is how it comes across now this is very engaging stuff you don't want to put the book down you want to keep reading but you think how can you up the tension from there and you do oh that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah get off the interview i've got to go and finish the novel uh, so so put the sex aside put this tattooy guy this hunk of a guy and this this woman who is obviously very modern You've got this tension. It's only about chapter nine that I, they have this quiet moment and they're in the car, they're coming home from watching the scientists at, scientists at the theatre. And the I guess the story almost comes to a standstill, which makes what they reveal to each other about their backgrounds all the more, I guess, heightened, all the more tense. Um, so to go from all that very fast pace to this this intimate um inside a car inside his dick car i love it <laughs> it's a very fancy car inside a dick car i thought yep i haven't heard that before um but but that emotional tension and what you've done there is classic how to write a romance novel stuff isn't it you've slowed it right down and we learn the next stage of their relationship yeah yeah i guess it's um you know it's giving backstory in a you know in a in a conversational way, so it's not like dragging down the story by, you know, putting great big hunks of it. But also, um, and this is the thing that I always say to people, um, romances are emotional stories. They're not, they're not sexual stories. Yes, there can be sexual content, and you know, all that helps. As I was saying to up the tension, but. Um, romances are emotional journey between two people so um it's important to always have that emotional content as well to kind of um ground 
you know, the plot and ground the relationship in this, you know, that there's two people who for some reason, you know, are clearly hot for each other for some reason, just like, oh, okay, we're hot for each other, let's go and have a relationship and live happily ever after. So, that, you know, there's reasons why they can't be together. So, um, and it's, a, you know, the emotional um, reasons for that that sort of uh, ground the story, you know, and make make you um, worry and a bit fearful that maybe these two aren't going to make it. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe they'll, I mean, of course, you know, it's a romance novel, so they're going to get together at the end. But if you can create that worry, you know, that, oh, will they, won't they, that push-pull kind of thing, oh, my God, they are really actually both pretty fucked up. This might not work out. You know, if you can get that kind of tension inside a reader, you know, that's... That's pretty. That's the, that's the object, you know. That's that's the goal. Yeah, and look, everybody. The reason I'm going through this step by step is because if we want to write uh, romance novels, we have to get this part right. Uh, at, at chapter ten, we're fifty percent of the way through the novel. Everything that could have happened has happened. So there's actually nothing left to happen except I'm guessing what happens now is we move away from the physicality of the lovemaking into the emotional um, undertones and, and how they fight that emotional part because right now there's a room full of um, guys in a locker halfway through the novel. They're bra- bragging him about his at his bet, she's in the shower naked. They're swinging her bra around on their fingers. Okay, so we have we have big, big trouble, and I wouldn't be surprised if she storms out of that locker naked and picks up her things and walks out. This is this is no wallflower heroine. Uh, what happens next? Uh, you mean the actual plot, or yeah, no, when she comes out of that locker, yeah, she does storm out of the locker. Uh, she does storm out of the shower. Yes, um, and she doesn't. Um, I don't really want to give away a spoiler in case people. Yeah, have, I, uh, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. Just tell me. Just tell the me book. the locker. Is she naked or is she clothed? Uh, she has a towel. She comes out with a towel around her, so she's not naked. No, um, and she does something. Um, some reviewers have said talked about um, how I subverted the trope of the bet trope. So she, I think she does something that um, at that point, because she's obviously heard them discussing the bet. And, you know, that could go one or two ways with her. And I think that um, I chose to go a non-conventional way with it, and I actually discussed this. My editor and I discussed this quite a bit. And um, I think a lot of people have sort of said in their reviews how refreshing it is to see, you know, how that kind of how that worked out. So I won't spoil it for you. You'll, yeah. you'll see when you... <laughs> Hang up here, and you go back to the book. But um, yeah, all right. So yeah. I'm cutting off. I'm cutting off the interview now, everybody. I've got to go and read. <laughs> uh, but look, seriously, um, from a writing point of view, that's exactly how I feel with this book. Now, we as writers, we've got to peel back and work out how you did it, Amy. Um, right from the beginning, going right through that novel. I mean, I, I can tell you, it's a lot of years since I've read a book that I can't put down. And I don't have much time to read, um, but these these romance novels now we're talking about the biggest genre. We're talking about the best um, best selling genre. We're talking about a lot of indie writers making an awful lot of money, and and um, writers with Entangled and all those kinds of people. These books sell, and they sell really, really well. Um, just to move away for a little minute, you've got your three footy player books out, and from memory, there's six or seven of them. Uh. 
of this, the rugby yeah. series? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be eight. Yeah. And um, just, just as an aside, everybody, I've read this thing. I thought, oh, Sydney rugby, I'd get to, in the olden days, you know, you'd read about people crossing the Sydney Harbour Bridge, you'd know you'd know it was set in Sydney. There is absolutely no indication of where this is set um, other than the word Sydney pops up when he pulls into the stadium. Is that deliberate so that you can attract an international order? Is that what your, is that what your editors wanted? Um, no, that wasn't really a deliberate decision, I don't think. I think probably the first two books, Sydney might be mentioned a bit, a bit more. I know um, that Tanner takes Matilda on a date near the Opera House, so there is kind of the odd sprinkling, I guess, um, because, you know, I'm assuming that people know that it's set in Sydney just from, you know, Sydney Smoke Rugby Series and it being an Australian book that I, you know, I haven't really felt the need to sort of um, – you know, make it a bit of a travel log of Sydney. So, and also I think just, um, I think it's written, I think that, you know, it's written in quite an Australian way as well. So I think that speaks, you know, for, for that as well. I don't think you need to, you know, sort of belt people over their head with, um, with locations. So, um, it's nice to have little sprinkles though. And, um, I don't know really think about that. I might look at that in the next books and try to sprinkle a little bit more Sydney in I don't know whether, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and I, mean, I think it was because I was looking for it as well. I was yeah. looking to see those kinds of things. I like I like to know my setting. And the other thing was there was only a couple of an Americanisms, and I don't even know because I don't know a thing about football. Is the bleachers where they sit? Is that do we use that expression in Australia? Um, I think that we. I think it is an American expression, and I think that we do use it here. I've heard it used here in Australia as well. So, yeah. Um, but I think it is more of an American expression. I guess it's one of those things also that, um, uh, because you know, I think Australians understand American terms because we get so much of it on television and movies. Same with you know, same with English terms. We get so much content like that over here. We kind of you know understand those terms as well. So I think bleachers are more um, you know kind of to me wooden rickety kind of seating than you know big stadium seating. But um, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, with your reader. Let's look at Amy Andrews' readers. Now, we've got another interview that Amy and I have done together where we talked about the popularity of your books, um, and we're talking millions and millions of books sold here. This is this is a lady at the top of her top of a game, and um, we'll talk a little bit later about what's coming next after the football series. Um, but when you sit down to write for your reader, what exactly mm. do you think your single reader, I'm assuming you've got someone that you write for, what are you aiming to give that reader? Uh, the same thing I've, I've always aimed to, to give a reader. I'm not a, I'm not a writer who, you know, writes to educate or to, you know, find some deeper meaning in life or, um, you know, to make pretty patterns on the page or whatever reason. Uh, I, when I read a book, I want to be entertained and I want to leave at the end of the book with knowing everything's going to be okay in the world. So um, that's that's what I do for my readers. I try to I try to entertain them for a few hours, um, really invest them in the characters, and leave them with a smile on their face at, at the end of it all. I, you know, I, 
to me, reading's all about being entertained. I know, uh, you know, that's obviously a different thing for everybody else. Everybody, every individual has a reason for why they like to read or what they get out of reading. But for me, it's about just being swept away for a few hours and being entertained. So that's what I try to do with my readers. I try to entertain them for a few hours. Yeah, and from a right, yep. Sorry, from a writer's perspective, no. I'm looking mm. at. I'm really looking at how far I would feel comfortable to go as a writer. And mm. I've been playing with this idea for several months now. And I think Tracy Peterson, she writes erotica. Um, you write steamy romance. There is nothing wrong or, or cringeworthy about what you do, but there are elements of it that still shock me. And I'm wondering whether it's because I'm older now. But we talk about um, women and vibrators and packs of batteries and all these kinds of things. Amy, does that really go on in the world? <laughs> yes, it does, Melinda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. I had to ask someone and I had to ask it on the podcast. I should have asked beforehand because I'm reading this stuff and I thought I've got two teenagers up there and A, I was copying mm. out all these notes to interview you and I thought, oh, I'll have to delete them. If, if my 14-year-old sees this, I'll be in all sorts of trouble. But we've got a hero, <laughs> we've got a hero and heroine who are 23. Now, I've never considered mm. what ages I like my heroes and heroines, but I thought I actually quite like them. I'm usually around that 28, 30 where they've got a bit of maturity about them. Both these characters mm. are very mature. They're about to make life decisions. Um, mm. But I'm assuming they're going to have a relationship and get married and live happily ever after. But it's, they're so young. I feel like saying go back out and play for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's true. Well, they've both played. They've both done a lot of playing, so it's not like they're each other's first or anything. Now, I think this is the thing with writing uh, a book set in a rugby league team. You know, those guys are young. Mm. You know, by and large, you get the ones. You know, you get the ones that sort of who are in their sort of early thirties and stuff. But mostly, these are guys in their twenties, and I agree. Like, usually, most of the books I've written. Um, up until more recently, have had characters that are usually in their 30s. Um, a lot of them have been medical romances and a lot of them, have, you know, involve kind of doctors and nurses and they tend to be, you know, older people anyway because if they're at the top of their field and they're no spring chickens. So, um, and I have always felt more comfortable writing, you know, older characters because, you know, I am older, so I feel like I've got more of a grasp on that. But, I, you know, I can't really write... Um, a 40-year-old footballer who's, you know, actively playing. So, you know, these, they are, I know, I, I, actually, I really understand that they are young. And so I've been trying to do some varying ages. I think both Tanner and uh, Dex were, um, like, in their late 20s. So Link's younger. Um, obviously, the coach is going to be 40 when I do his book. Um, and the next couple of, the next three books um, Donovan's probably going to be closer to 30, but the other writer and Bodie will probably be sort of mid 20s. So I have to realistically deal with younger guys because you know that's that's um, that's what professional sport you know is is young guys. Mm. And, be, and be warned, everybody, if you read one of these things, you're going to want to read them all because all the characters um, intertwine and you become 
part of this world. And the football world isn't overpowering, um, which is interesting in itself. Um, we don't learn too much about the football, but it's enough that when the scenes happen in the locker room, we know it's sacred ground. Um, but these are the questions we have to ask ourselves as writers. How old are our characters? How much, um, I guess, of the steamy stuff are we going to include? And the, the advice that I'm guessing you would give everyone, Amy, is read read, read what you what you like and what you're comfortable with. Um, now I'm determined to have a go at these and it's taken me two months just to realise that what you're doing is what romance writers have always done. It's, it's no different to the structure of a um, sweet romance and it's probably no different to, although I don't, you, you couldn't go much further than you could without calling it porn, could you? Your steamy romance um, is about as far as you could go. So you're, you're at one end of it, would you say? One end of um, the of the of the sweet to steamy romance. Do you mean, or yeah, one end yeah. of the steamy to porn? <laughs> <laughs> no, one end of the sweet to steamy. I, I look. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely at the other end of the of the sweet to steamy. I want to do the steamy end of the sweet to steamy um, spectrum, but definitely like you know, um, all romance novels. I was saying before are emotional journeys. So whether you whether the writer uh, chooses to um, put a lot of sex as they go along or not, um, it's still about the it's still about the characters. It's still about their emotional journey. I always say to people who ask about you know how to ask questions about um, sex scenes, particularly that um, you can have two people swinging from a chandelier doing it, and the reader, unless the reader likes those characters and is invested in those characters, it doesn't matter. That You can have the most creative inventive sex ever written, but if the reader doesn't care about them, they're not going to care about what kind of sex they're having either. So, um, and whether that be, that goes from sweet through to steamy, you know, you've got to get people, got to get readers invested in your characters. And then they're willing actually to go to places that they probably wouldn't normally always go, like the bet. A lot of people don't like bet tropes, and fair enough, you know. But if you can get them invested enough in the characters and like the characters enough, then they're willing to put that sort of stuff aside and go, all right, I'm willing to give this a go. I'm willing to give Link a go. I'm willing to see how it turns out, you know. So it's really yeah. it's all about character. And that, and that tension that Amy talks about, I would actually say that it is sexual all the way through from when he rings her in the school lunchroom to when they're in the theatre together to when they're sitting in the car together. It's not that we're focusing here today, everyone, on the sex scenes, but every page of that novel brings forward the sexual or sensual tension. Maybe instead of using sexual, we use the word mm. sensual, emotional, mm. all those things. And as writers, we need to be aware that you can't let go of that I guess that that pace, otherwise you'll lose your reader and your reader will put the book down. Yeah, that's right. I think you've got to, um, well, you know, obviously there are some people who don't mind slower-paced books, but I think particularly when you're looking at, you know, um, these books are category romance, so they're 50,000 words. Uh, so you can't, you don't have a lot of words to play with. You can't, you know, sort of bog the book down um, in sort of really slow introspection or whatever. It has to, you know, it's you've got to get these people meeting and falling in love to, to the happily ever after in 50,000 words. So there's not a lot of words to play with. So it's um, they are quite 
pacey because you can't afford to spend a lot of words on a lot of stuff that, you know, you can in bigger books. You can't spend, you know, 10 pages talking about how beautiful the mountain is kind of thing. You know, you have to kind of uh, really focus on them and their relationship and keep moving the story forward all the time, keep moving it forward, forward, forward. Yeah, and and giving your heroine that very proactive role. I'm actually really quite hooked with our friend M in the locker room, which, again, I'm focusing on because it's just the most unlikely place that I could ever imagine. But she decides yeah. to um, have a go at the – I don't think it's called a punching bag, but it's something. Uh, yeah, it's called uh, – I can't remember what it's called now either. It's that, you know, big kind of – padded bag that you see footballers on the news kind of you know it's for tackle practice kind of running into and you know trying to push push the other person one person holds it in front of them, the other the player runs at it and um yeah. i think it's called a tackle bag actually I yeah. can't that's right tackle bag tackle bag is yeah you had it yeah, yeah. Um, that's right yeah. yeah and m the first go she's determined to have a go she's a very determined character and the first time she ends up on her ass um, yeah. And the second time she doesn't do much better. And I think by time number four or five, that all she's doing is running into this tackle bag to try and make an impact on this big footballer guy. And she mm. doesn't succeed. I think all she does is succeed in moving his left foot. Um, yeah. But by the end of the, that little scene, it probably goes for quite a few pages, um, mm. not only are you rooting for her, the, the sexual tension again is is huge, and I thought, hang on, mm. here's a girl <laughs> running up against a tackle bag, and already you're going, wow, the 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 I guess the emotional cost in all of that was so huge, and that's well before the actual sex scene happens, um, and then that goes on for probably another ten, fifteen pages um, before yeah, we get they to have the a bit. lot of sex then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it but it all moves us. Um, story forward everyone i'm guessing if you buy this book or another romance book we used to be told you get a highlighter and you color in um all the different um emotions in different colors and you color in the dialogue you color in the character you color in the sense you um do a lot of editing amy i know for other writers you've got your business what are, what are yes. some of the things that people muck up on when they when they try this stuff for themselves uh uh, one of the first mistakes people make is they start the book in the wrong place. That's probably the number one mistake. And, you know, that's easy enough to do. I've done that. Um, even recently I started a book in the wrong place and it took my editor to say, I think you started this book in the wrong place. And go, oh, yeah, I did. So, it's, you know, it it's, can sometimes be hard to do. Um, I think that oftentimes books, you know, yeah, like pace, they get bogged down in um, introspection and backstory. Um, as far as um, sex scenes and sexual tension goes, um, and this is something that I always say to them, is that sex scenes are emotional scenes. They are not physical, not just physical scenes. They are emotional scenes. So it's okay to have great physical description, but it always has to be grounded in the emotion. You know, this is this is a, a deeply um, intimate thing that these people are doing. So what are they thinking? What are they feeling? You know, how is it manifesting in their body? Not just necessarily with goosebumps, but, you know, what are their internal thoughts as this amazing thing's happening to them? And, again, you don't want to bog a sex scene down in that either, but it's important to have... Um, it's important to realise that this is an emotional scene. This is upping the emotional stakes. They're having sex, it's upping the emotional stakes, you know, every time. So um, I think people 
often don't, you know, don't get that right either. Yeah, and and I think that's that's one thing that's very very clear when you're reading a good romance and deconstructing some of this stuff that the actual physical description is actually very little. It's very little part of it, uh, and I think that's why I'm so invested in poor old Link and Em, and I've left them, you know, where I've left them. Uh, but I want I want them to get together. I know a little bit about their background, but it took a while to to get to that. We knew there was something going on with both of them, and I'm assuming they're going to suffer a whole lot more before they get to where they need to be at the end of the novel. Uh, of course. But the, <laughs> uh, when you give your feedback and you say, look, I know you've invested a lot of time in this novel, but I think you need to go and do this, this and this. Um, mm. Can people get it right straight away or do they often have to come back for a second um, second piece of advice with you? Um, I've had a couple of resubmits, people who've, who've gone off and made changes and um, come back and wanted me to reassess again, which is fine um, and great. And um, mostly they've um, had a couple instances where it hasn't been the case, but usually they uh, actually really have improved the book. Um, now, I, I have to then come back and say I feel that you should, you could still do more. So um, if you get an assessment from, from me from Word Witchery, it's fairly detailed, and then a resubmit is, you know, fairly detailed as well. Because I feel like I'm not, like, we don't do, I don't do line editing. I'm not about line editing. I'm actually about structural stuff, what works, what, what doesn't work. You know, people are paying me to give them, you know, an, a, a thorough assessment. So I really feel like I go into every single detail where I feel like it could, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and hopefully, but mostly I, mostly I don't get resubmits. Mostly people, you know, um, do their thing. I kind of never hear from them again unless it's, you know, unless it's picked up or published or something like that. So, um, and, you know, editing and all that kind of thing is a natural part. You know, that's what we do as writers. We write and then we edit. Uh, but you have to be in especially when you're new. I know when I first started out, when I got my first rejection from Harlequin and um, they, it wasn't like me my first one, I think it was, that, was a, that was a rote one, but as I got more rejections, they kind of got better. And the second book, the book that before that, the one that got picked up, actually got a good rejection letter saying, we want you to do some rewrites, we want you to do this, you know, this, this and this. And I was like, what? That can't, that's not right. Like, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm not doing that. So I kind of did some rewriting and I just, you know, t kind of tinkered, but didn't really address any of their issues. And I got a rejection. Next time came along, got another really good, we want you to do rewrites. You know, again, I didn't agree really with half of what they were saying, but I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Whatever they want me to do, I'm just going to do it. And that book got published. So I think you need – so the point of that story is I think that you need to be at a particular point in your journey where, you get, where, you get, where you've gotten over yourself and what you think you know and what you think is good and what you think is amazing about your work to go, all right, okay, well, clearly <laughs> I need to stop being – I know, you know, I am a writer, I know what I'm doing and, you know, take on board what other people, particularly people who are going to publish you um, – say and I think when that happened I got you know I got published when I started to listen to you know people's advice and assessment I got published and you have to each person has to be ready to do that otherwise you know their stuff is 
you know, probably never going to get much better because until you reach that point where you kind of finally admit defeat and are willing to, to go, okay, now I'm going to take help, um, you know, there's usually not much that you can do. Yeah, and it's that professionalism, isn't it, to say this is a job, this is how I, what I need to do to be the best that I can be. And it's always a great turning point, I think, for writers where they realise uh, that, yes, I, I can make the changes, I, I can be good at what I do. Do you often find that people write their scenes way too short? I know when I go in and do my rewrites that I actually start off with a two-page scene that actually should end up a ten-page scene. <laughs> I think that probably is very um, individual and very dependent on each scene, I suppose. Mm. Um, I find that people overwrite, actually, rather than underwrite. Mm. Um, I, I feel, generally speaking, people can take a great big red pen and, you know, probably hack out half the stuff that they've that they've written. I don't find that people generally tend... People who are starting out, anyway, generally tend to overwrite rather than underwrite. Um, but that's just practice and, you know, as well, that's just, and also reading, reading, like, you know, you were saying before, and I think I said to you previously, read, just read. What is it that you want? What is it you're writing? What is it you like to read? Just read everything you can read every book by, if you like a particular author, read them all, or if you like a particular genre or a particular trope, read them all. How are they doing it? What, you know, what are their scenes like? How long are they? How short are they? Um, you know, just reading alone is, is you're going to absorb so much from that from that experience. Yeah, and there's so much out there. There's so much out there to to use. But I'm sure if you strip a lot of what, and especially in this this area of middle to steamy romance, they're pretty much what we've been writing or people have been writing all along. Um, and yeah, the characters may change, and you had a tag in there. And I didn't have a clue. It took me half half the book to work out that a tag was a fancy watch. Um, so yeah. you know, you've got you've got to keep up with the times. And I went, oh, okay, I knew that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. you, can, yeah. you can can have a bit of education as well. But one of the things I notice about your sentences, they're short, they're sharp. Quite often, when you're really being punchy, that's um, what the fuck. It's one word, full stop. One word, full stop. One word, mm. full stop. There are no, as I skim through on my um, Kindle now, there are no long paragraphs. The longest your paragraphs may be um, three lines max. Yes. Yeah. I, I I think that short sentences, shorter paragraphs, you know, really help with pace. They make mm. things punchy. Uh, so my advice is always to, and that's quite often something that I see um, in assessments, manuscripts that I get, is really long paragraphs with just big blocks of prose. Um there's this thing called white space. I don't know if you've known or heard of it or whether um, the listeners do, but, you know, it's how much when you look at a page, how much is actually white space where there's no writing at all. And I know if I, like, get a book and I'm reading it and there's just a page with just, you know, one big block of print, it's a mentally, <laughs> like, gird yourself to get through it. But if your paragraphs are shorter, if you have more dialogue, then you create a lot of white space on the page and that, you know, is a little almost subliminal signal to the reader that, you know, there's nothing heavy or nothing's going to bog you down here, you know. It's so I – and I think, you know, I guess obviously literary fiction is different, but if you're writing, you know, genre fiction, um, people's, atti- people's attention spans, readers' attention spans are just, you know, are so short now that you need to – 
you know, keep things snappy and pacey. Otherwise, if it tends to dry, people are going to lose um, interest. Yeah, and I noticed too, and this is something that's really, really important. Um, usually I used to have my millsies and I'd have them and I'd be reading them physically. Um, this mm. time I downloaded this thing on my iPhone and I, I'm finding I'm reading more and more on my phone and I'd never thought that that would be. I've got the iPad Pro and it comes up nice and big. and But I find that sitting there holding that thing up is actually quite painful. So I, I now yeah. read on my phone. And so those mm. short pages where I can whip through, that's why I couldn't actually tell you how long any of your scenes were. I mean, oh, I right. old five-page yeah. sex scene because I've got no idea on the phone. All I know is as I skim through that some of those scenes go on forever in that mm. rising of tension. And if I had to say where a scene started and stopped, it's actually a little bit harder to tell. It's a lot more fluid now. Yes. Um, I My... I do tend to write long sex scenes because, uh, well, I mean, obviously you mix that up. You don't, you know, have 12 long sex scenes in a book. You need to mix it up. But um, particularly that first one tends to be longer because there's a lot of emotional uh, content, you know, as well. So um, I was going to say something else and I've completely lost my train of thought. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's move on to um, your humour. Now, this is particularly Amy Andrews, I'm guessing, um, and I think this is what must get your readers um, hooked and you must have lifelong followers because I just love that deadpan comment, uh, commentary that runs through your novels. Um, even at the most serious moments, you'll hear, you'll, you'll throw in these lines, you know. Um, that's truly Amy Andrews and I'm guessing that's what you're known for. Um, I, yeah, I think a lot of, if you read a lot of reviews that people do of my work, they, you know, often, often mention the humour and, um, you know, I've written a few romantic comedies and stuff as well, which I think has been classed as women's fiction, but I've always sort of said we're rom-coms. Uh, I, and I like to read books with humour in. Uh, I remember um, years ago, up until uh, I read this this one book, I had my kind of extent of romance books, and I'd read a lot, were Mills and Boone. Usually the sexies, you know, so boss secretaries, I usually said in England or Australia, or you hadn't really read any of the American ones. And then I read a book called Getting Rid of Bradley by Jennifer Caruzzi, which at the time she was running for um, uh, Silhouette, I think, for one of the Harlequin lines. And it blew my little brain apart because it was funny and irreverent and I was like, oh, my God, romance novels can be like this. They can be like this. And suddenly I found the thing, I was like, I want to write like this. This is what I really love. And, you know, it opened up a whole kind of world to me that I hadn't really, I'd been very kind of, serious category orientated, you know, chicks and businessmen and alpha heroes and stuff. And then suddenly I was, there was this whole other kind of light, funny, fluffy kind of stuff that I just um, adored. Uh, and from that, that was kind of a pivotal moment to me. I was like, all right, this is how I want to, I want to write. And so sort of from then, and I guess I probably had always tended towards a bit of humour anyway, so it wasn't like I had to deliberately think, right, I need to inject humour into every book that comes along. I think that's kind of, you know, me anyway. I've always been a bit of a class clown kind of character, so I've always tended to – and I think even as, you know, having been a nurse for 20-odd years, 
you tend to find humour in the weirdest sort of situations as well. So I think it was sort of second nature to me. So, but I, I, I even that, um, even that. Have you got birds, or is that some feedback somewhere? Uh, no, we've got birds, everybody. This is slice right. of life stuff here. Remember, <laughs> it's Valentine's. It's romantic birds in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, even a book that I wrote, the book that I wrote at the beginning of last year with my sister, we did that one together called Numbered, which was, you know, all in dying of breast cancer. Um, there were, like, some very funny moments in that book because, you know, because those kind of journeys aren't all bleak and horrible. You know, people always tend to find the light in the darkness as well. So I love to read funny and I love to write funny. And I, I think some of my earlier books, that humour was constrained by um, sort of when I was writing my Harlequin Medicals, oftentimes a lot of that stuff they would take out and I'll be like, oh, well, that's funny. <laughs> and they will be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I felt I feel less constrained now. I'm able to like, you know, and, and certainly with my Harlequins now, I just, you know, they don't try to constrain me at all uh, with humour either. So uh, obviously what one person finds funny, another person might not find funny. So it's probably I'm prob- it's probably good to rein me back sometimes. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to imagine but... anyone trying to rein you back, Amy. It is beyond my imagination. <laughs> uh, and I think that's what I've responded to in your books. It's there, it's it's as you are, it's, it's intense, it's fast-paced, you get to the good bit straight away. Um, your writing is very, very simple. I don't know if you have to do much editing about it. I'm just reading something very quickly here and it's only two lines she knew what she wanted she reached for his cock now so simple so straight to the point the scene develops and is is very romantic but Mm. trying to work out how to put sentences on a page for for writers do you think sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be I mean your sentences are sometimes deceptively straightforward and simple let's not fluff around this is what's happening this is what she wants let's go for it yeah. Well, again, I think the format constrains you as well because yeah. 50,000 words, you know, I could have written, you know, two paragraphs on her grabbing his cock. But, um, again, that's going to bog things down. It's going to slow down the pace. And I think um, – and also – for that particular line, like for Brazen, the right line that I'm running for, for Entangled, mm. you know, um, part of it's, you know – description that the reason readers um read it is that it's you know it's they're pacey and they're um they're heavy on sexual content and um things like graphic language and graphic sex and you know so there's sort of these expectations so it's kind of expected that they're going to be a pacey read anyway you know that you're Mm. going to get kind of more pacier uh racier kind of reads yeah, I used to always like. They reminded me of the Blaze series with Mills and Boone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. And I used to, li- I used to like the Blaze series. Then I went on to the Super Romances, and now the Mirror books. Um, so you're getting mm-hmm. those media stories. Um, I was going to get Amy to read some of this novel, but I guess that my question is, what else are you doing? What what else are you writing? And and how does that, because, Amy, um, as we talked before, this is your full-time job now. This is how you earn your money. Yep. This is how you put your kids through uni. Um, right. You've got this series happening. Series are very fashionable, but now you put them out in box sets. People who are making the money and making regular incomes are writing these series. I want to read the one about the coach. I want to read about the other guys in your series. What else mm. are you doing? Because I'm assuming you finished these now or close to. Uh, 
No, no, I'm, I'm actually this. Is, I've only written up to Lynx book, so I'm writing three more um, this year, and I'll do two more next year. Because with them being digital, you know, they have quite a short turnaround time as far as production goes. So um, I think I'm, I'm going to be writing um, uh, Ryder in March. So he should be done by the end of March, and I, I'm not sure what the probably come out at the end of June. So you know, you can do that. With digital, you can sort of turn it around quite quickly. I'm doing um, – I'm about to start a bull rider hero for a series that I'm writing with Tuli Publishing, yep. um, and that's an eight-author uh, sort of series. And I've not long finished a um, Aussie firefighter also for Tuli, and it's my first ever amnesia book, and I'm very excited about it. Yep. So both of those will be coming out this year as well. So I should hopefully have – those two books and three more, definitely two more um, rugby books, hopefully three. Uh, I'm writing a, um, a Ruro, a medical Ruro for Mira, which okay. won't be out next year, but it'll be finished this year. And I'm doing the second in my um, Limbo series, uh, my weird kind of quirky paranormal uh, detective kind of mashup of genres series that nobody bought <laughs> <laughs> so but so I'm writing the second one anyway <laughs> god damn it i love your strong strength okay <laughs> so making a full-time living romance writing is definitely possible but as amy said you've got to write across genres you've got to you've got to keep that output happening i for one am dismayed that i've got to wait for the rest of these things, I actually like to buy all seven or eight books at once and just read my way yeah. through them. People will um, often wait to read a series until all the books are out. So, mm. yeah. yeah, so it's interesting, but I do know that Amy has over 50 titles, so I can work my way backwards. Um, so there's plenty I've to read. I've got a pretty big backlist. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I won't be totally devastated. But I guess that's the, that's a sign of, um, and I think it's Bella Andre and people like that, they, they have six or seven series going at once because the readers are insatiable. They, we, as readers, want you guys to work your fingers to the bone. But I also know that you've, you've got a great lifestyle. You sit out there in the country, you overlook the valley there. There's other things in your ha life happening besides writing. Um, what sort of output are you got to have to make a full-time living out of this? Because I'm assuming Tuli and Entangled, you'd have to sell a fair few copies to, to make a few dollars. Um. So this year, I I just actually added that up this morning. I'll, I'll be writing seven books. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping with the rugby series, you know, once they're all out, there'll be enough sort of sales of that to kind of continually trickle through to sort of have a good base income from. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually get a higher royalty on, you know, Thule and um, – entangled story so I actually have to sell less of them to make more money than say something like my Harlequins so um you know that's a nice bonus <laughs> <laughs> all right I'm going to finish off now because I've kept Amy for an hour and we were both up, up late last night uh Amy I want I had a because I was I was fascinated by the whole sensual tension of keeping this thing going um but I think we've talked enough about that is there a section that you particularly love in that novel that you'd like to read for us uh, hmm. 
I do, I do love the bit where she was peeking through the shower with the bunch of towels watching him wank. I thought that was rather funny. Um, but is there, any, is there anything that is a great example of, of characterisation? Otherwise, we'll run with the sex scene, but I think we've done it. I think, we, I think we know that as writers, we have to be straight to the point, but it doesn't, it's not about the sex. It's about the, the way you write it. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's always remembering about the you know that it's not just physical; it's emotional. <laughs> yeah, and and you can try it on your husbands, everybody. Even though it is fiction, one of the questions Amy got gets she tells me is that um, people always want to know is it her life, and it's fiction. We do make it up as writers. We do make it up, and I think that's one of the hardest things about putting your books out there. No, I didn't try this last night. Um, and I've never <laughs> I've never been in a locker room, but. <laughs> Well, I think it's always fascinating because it's like, you know, people do ask you about it and it's like, it's like you're, you're doing something that's really out of the ordinary. Mm. It's like, well, you know, yes, I have sex, you know, but, but that's not your business. I'm probably sure we've all in this room, you know, had sex. It's not nothing to giggle about. It's just, you know, a part of a normal kind of healthy relationship. So, um, but people are. People are fascinated by it, I suppose. You know, it's um, what can you do? I just try to always bring it down to, you know, I tell, I'm, tell, I'm telling a story about a relationship, a modern, you know, relationship. So sex is going to be part of that. To me, sex is just part of the story. I would find it odd to read um, a, a romance where sex wasn't part of the story um, these days. I mean, I do love, I can, I can certainly can read sweet romances. I think there's some authors have an incredible talent of building sexual tension um, without any kind of, you know, really heavy sexual stuff at all. And that's, you know, amazing that you can do that. Uh, But for me, I like, I like the payoff. <laughs> I always want the payoff. I want. I want. I know when I'm reading it. I want the payoff. Eventually, I want the payoff. But yeah. you know, authors that can write great sexual tension with just a look or whatever. You know, yeah. that's just really special. Yeah, and it's not easy, everyone. Um, I don't know how many times I keep hearing on forums, oh, I'll just dash off a romance novel because that's going to make me rich. Um, I think Joanna Penn, she writes thrillers and she's now put out um, some romance novels or is in the process of putting them out with someone. And she said it was really, really hard. You know, it takes time, it takes practice, it takes more and more writing, it takes editing, it takes um, using word witchery or someone else to edit your stuff and and tell you, no, go back and have another go. You haven't quite got it right yet but if you try this um mm. i want to i wanted you to read something but i've just found mm. there's a glossary in the back of this book that explains what a lolly is <laughs> and arvo yes. come on everyone here in australia um a patch <laughs> all the books have um a glossary at the end which i've built on with each book because i'll use you know i use different words sometimes in in writer's book the next book because he's a country boy there's going to need to be there'll be a several additions to that glossary because he's going to use some terms that are very, um, you know, sort of outback Australia. So, um, I'm and doing, the, the glossary has yeah. actually been really popular with with readers. So, yeah, I'm yeah. doing Australian identity at school, and we're looking at the different, um, I guess, the different stereotypes of Australians. I could almost take this glossary to school, except it's got things like budgie smugglers, and <laughs> probably won't take it to school. 
<laughs> oh, Amy, look, you've been wonderful. Great way to spend, um, what is it, um, Valen- lead up to Valentine's Day and the romance and all the rest of it. All of us who are writing, there is hope for all of us. Amy, are you going to read or shall we call it quits? Uh, no, I can read. I just, um, did you want me to just read the one that we already had discussed or? Or, or something that you like. I, I was I was looking at um, structure, pure structure and deconstruction. Right. But I think we've done that verbally. What, what's your favourite bit? Oh, I have so many favourite bits with this book. Um, I, I like, you know, maybe if I could read sort of that opening. I, I like, I really like writing the men. I like writing mm. the banter between the men. And, you know, this is sort of the thing I say um, with the way that I write men. I hopefully write men the way men are. Like I don't write men the way women think the way women would like men to be. I try really hard to write men as men. Like, you know, my husband always says, you know, there's not a lot going on in his head most of the time. You know, (laughs) it's, you know, food and sex or food and boobs and that's about it. So, you know, don't get too carried away with it, you know, having us be great thinkers kind of thing. So I really try to write, you know, men as men. And I think that opening um, scene, you know, the poker um, scene is – one that sort of displays that quite well. So I can read that if you like. That would be wonderful. And it's the reason I started at book three instead of book one. I, I down, Now, everyone, just so you know, I downloaded all three books from Amazon. I picked up all three books for $10. A couple of them were $3.50 and the other one was $2.90. The fact that I can have three novels on my iPad for 10 bucks is an absolute it's pretty insult. Pretty good. Oh, I think it's – I think – we should be giving you more money, um, but that's my little oh, well, bugbear. I can't agree with you there. <laughs> Everybody, start paying more for your romance novels. Romance writers work for it, damn it. Okay, go. Okay, so this is the opening scene in Chapter 1. Uh, okay. Lincoln, Lincoln Quinn stared at the three aces and two queens he was holding in his hand. Fuck, he loved poker. It fell a close third to rugby and women. The fact that he was astoundingly good at all three was worn as a badge of honour. Practice did, after all, make perfect. His brow crinkled in a fake display of, holy shit, this hand is crap. It still worked occasionally. You know what this poker game needs, he mused out loud to his fellow players, keen to distract the other guys as they assessed their cards. Anyone would think they were playing for bloody sheep stations instead of fake casino chips. Chicks, came five simultaneous replies. Link laughed. His teammates from the Sydney Smoke were well used to his regular refrain. Tanner Stone, the captain, had declared the game a chick for his own a few years back when they'd all started playing, and Link had been bitching about it ever since. According to writer Davis, country down to his bootstraps, a couple of blokes called Brooks and Dunn had sung some song about how much better life was with a girl in it, and Link couldn't agree more. He sure as hell hoped they'd won some kind of award for such genius. You know you're all thinking the same thing, Link goaded good-naturedly. I'm thinking I fold, Tanner said, throwing his cards onto the table. Ryder, pulling his Akubra low on his forehead with one hand, tossed his cards on the top of the others. Me too. Me three, Dexter Blake said, grimacing at his hand before slapping it down. Donovan Bain, half Mary Mound Mountain, who couldn't play poker for shit, followed suit. Me four. Bodie Webb stared Link down over the top of his cards, taking his time. I'm thinking, he murmured eventually, you're bluffing. Oh yeah? Link cocked an eyebrow, staring right back. To be fair, he couldn't blame Bodie for being sceptical. He often bluffed on these poker nights. It was half the fun, because one thing Link understood well was the theatre of things, of card games and rugby and women, and he loved to play. 
Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? He challenged. Don't do it, Sparty, Dex warned. He may look dumb, but Link Quinn is a fucking shark and you know it. Link shrugged, unconcerned by Dex's insult. He wasn't a book smart kind of guy. A broken home, an itinerant childhood, and a mild case of dyslexia hadn't been conducive to learning. If it hadn't been for rugby, he'd probably be digging ditches somewhere. But the school of hard knocks had taught him about life and poker. I bet a hundred, Buddy said, flipping a chip into the centre of the table. Link didn't bother to look at his cards, kept keeping his gaze trained on Bodie. I'll match it and raise you five. He threw a $500 chip after his $100 one. They clinked into the silence around the table. Bodie tossed in a five and added another five to the pile. Razor. Ryder whistled long and low, then took a suck of his beer. Tanner shook his head and said, I hope you're wearing a spandex Spider-Man suit under those clothes. I bet he's crappy and if he is, Donovan added. Dex laughed and Link suppressed a grin as he matched and raised with two $500 chips. Bodie fidgeted in his chair, cleared his throat. No superhero was going to get him out of this fix. Link waited patiently as Bodie fidgeted some more, stroking his cards back and forth over the glossy surface, shaking his head as he glared at them, then at Link, then back at the cards. Ryder drummed his fingers on the table. Must you do that? Bodie snapped. Well, are you playing or are you trying to rub the titties off the queen? Ryder griped. The weight didn't bother Link. He could wait all night. Patience was a big part of strategy. It was an even bigger part of bluffing. Not that he needed to bluff with his hand. God damn it, Bertie bitch, as he glared at Link. You know what your problem is. You can't resist a bit, can you? Link did grin this time. I have no idea what you're talking about. There were general snorts of disbelief around the table. Tanner laughed outright. You bet on who was going to be the first one to leave one direction. And your phone is four different betting apps, Donovan pointed out. You bet on Harper, Dex scrapped, over me when we played Battlefront last Wednesday night. Dude, Link said, she kicks your ass. She always kicks your ass. What about that time you bet on that old flea-bit nag who hadn't won a race for two years, Ryder demanded. Link shrugged. He won that race, didn't it? And earned him a cool 800 bucks. Not bad for an afternoon's work. Bodie threw a 1000 on the pile. All right, then, you prick. I'll see you. What have you got? Link laid his hands down. Full house, aces and ladies. Bodie stared at it in disbelief, throwing his hand down in disgust as the table erupted in cheers and wolf whistle. Man, Bodie shook his head as he sucked on his beer and Link grabbed, his, grabbed the chips from the centre of the table. You ever get injured playing rugby? You should let head to Vegas. You could make a shitload with that great big hairy pair you've got. Link just screamed, taking a much-deserved pull of his own beer. The cold, bitter flavour went down a treat. Your deal, dude. The next hand was shuffled and dealt. Jesus, Sparty Donovan shook his head at his cards. Just as well you can play rugby, you can deal for shit. Bodie, his cards clearly better this time if he's returning humour as an indication, smiled. I could have dealt you a raw flash and you'd have fucked it up somehow. Man's got a point, Dono, Ryder agreed. Donovan shrugged good-naturedly. Only game that counts is on the pitch. Amen, Tanner murmured. Midway through the season, the smoke were in the top eight, which would have put them through the semis if they managed to maintain it. If they moved higher up the leaderboard, they'd have a commanding foothold. They played the previous three grand finals in a row and won two of them. Link spared his hand a cursory glance. A pair of jacks and a pair of nines. Oh yeah, baby, come to data. So he cocked an eyebrow at Dex, who was usually give him a, who usually gave him a good run for his money on poker night, but right now is in a race with Donovan to the bottom. It didn't take any kind of book smarts to know why. You nervous about Sunday? Dex shook his head shook his head emphatically. Nope. You don't think you kind of rushed into it? Nope. You've known her for four months, dude. Yep. Dex grinned, big and wolfish, like he'd won the night, the premiership, and the famed John Davis rugby medal all at once. Link was happy for Dex and Harper, but he personally didn't get why any guy with a celebrity status afforded to sports stars would settle with one woman when there was so much love and despair around. 
He didn't want to wait to the end of the season to get hitched like Tanner and Matilda. As long as Link lived, he'd never understand the whole urge to tie herself down to one woman. But Matilda's insistence on a Christmas wedding had at least been considered. You know, have one of those big celebrity dudes? Harper didn't want to wait, Dex shrugged, his grin taking up half his face. What can I say? She wants me. She must. They would be playing their toughest game of the season the night before, and there was no plan for a honeymoon either, with Griffin King, their hardest nails coach, owning their asses for the season. Hell, there'd hardly be time for a wedding night with training bright and early Monday morning. Harper was going to be a rugby widow for the next couple of months, especially if they made it through the finals. What happens if that pretty face gets all mashed up during the, the game Saturday night? You look like Frankenstein for the pictures, Ryder asked, his face hidden by the brim of his hat as he considered his cards. Or you break your leg, Bertie added helpfully. Or worse, Link chimed in, huge smile on his face, you strain your groin. You're probably going to need that thing to reform your husbandly duties on Sunday night. Dex chuckled. I'm touched that you're worried about my duties, but there ain't nothing that can keep this groin down. There was much hilarity as the guys all drummed on the table. Just saying, Link shrugged as the hubbub settled. I'd be more than happy to step in if you're not up to your job. Check snorted over my cold dead body. They all laughed again, but Link shook his head as he raised his beer for a toast. To Dexter Blake, another good man bites the dust. He's getting married, Link, Tanner said amidst the laughter and bottle clinking. Not facing a firing squad. Link shuddered. He might as well be. Yeah, but why settle for one when there's so many gorgeous chicks out there? There makes a very good point, Marta agreed. Especially, Link continued, when all they want is a little bit of time with a hot rugby dude. Perfect for a complete manhole such as yourself, Dex said derisively. Link blasted away the, sl the slight hit of sarcasm with a deliberately goofy grin. I know, right? That was an insult, doofus, Donovan said, shaking his head. Link grinned, unperturbed by the besmirching of his character. I take manhole as a compliment. Can we keep going or? No, that's perfect. Beautiful. I'm actually reading along. I enjoyed it the first time and I enjoyed it with you reading it, Amy. Um, thank you very much. Um, happy, what is it, Valentine's Day, everybody. If you want to read about a bunch of um, footballers who just happen to be very handsome and talented as well, and they all turn out to be good guys in the end. Um, I think football has is a bit malaligned, I guess. Um, so thank you. And anything else you want to add, or shall we go and have our Sunday breakfast? Sunday brunch, I think. By the time it is now, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you for having me. All right, we look forward I hope to everybody having everybody. Gets lots of chockies and and flowers on that big day. Yeah, and remember, all your romance writers out there, uh, it's it's about practice. It's about following the genre. It's about following the structure. And if you need to know how to do this stuff, pick up your favourite romance author, pick up one of Amy's books, and really, really have a look at it, um, because our best teachers are our best authors and as always Amy's very very generous so it's bye from me it's bye from Amy and it's bye from bye. Rider on a Road bye.